This is The Usable Past, a podcast about past stories informing the present, hosted by Marie Nahikian. Welcome to The Usable Past. And this edition is the first of what I call Brooklyn Underhill Stories, called from the years I've lived on Eastern Parkway at the corner of Underhill Avenue in Brooklyn. I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, but mostly joyful and unique people, events, moments. This is one of these stories. I met Lois and Frank Votiki, Susan Alston Votiki's mom and dad, in 1991 when we arrived at the Copley Plaza Co-op. We signed our list with Frank Votiki, the president of the co-op. We were just tenants. And over the years, I had many conversations with Lois Votiki as we came and went from our garage that shared a common, common wall on Underhill Ave. I heard about Susan long before I met her, the youngest of four siblings, the only girl. Sometimes she was in Japan, London, or San Francisco, on the road, a dancer and a performer. Once I asked what kind of dance Susan performed, Lois, her mom, disclosed, well, she dances with the circus. My son is a dancer and a choreographer, so I think Lois felt we were kindred spirits our children pursuing unusual dreams and passions. In recent years, Susan had been living at home as well as performing. In 2020, Lois Votiki died. Among the suggestions for a memorial contribution in her memory was the Uncle Junior Project. This was how I discovered that Susan is an aerial artist, a dancer and a choreographer, an international circus star, a black woman who went to Brooklyn Public Schools, graduated from Stanford University, and worked on the Human Genome Project. Then she went to Paris. Susan Austin Vortiki joins the circus. Welcome to The Usable Past. Um, this is Marie Nihikian. PJ Ryan's here, my co-producer, co-host, who always asks the questions that I never remember to ask. So his voice and his perspective gets to be really important between the past and the present. And today I'm excited to um, interview a neighbor, um, someone I've actually been aware of and known about for a very long time on Eastern Parkway in Brooklyn, New York, Susan Austin Wojtyki. Susan grew up in Brooklyn. Um, where did you go to school? Well, uh, I went to St. Xavier's Elementary School. Okay. Which is on 8th Avenue, Avenue and 7th Street. And then I went to junior high school 51, which is, I believe, William Alexander Junior High School. But isn't PS 51, isn't that the school that also has a really good drama program? Did they have a drama program when you were there? They definitely had a drama program. They had a, 
drama, choir, photography. Uh, there were several extracurricular activities to choose from. Right. And where did you go to high school? I went to Brooklyn Tech. Okay. So truly a daughter of Brooklyn. I got to know Susan because um, her mom and dad live in the same building that I lived in for 30 years on Eastern Parkway. And you have three brothers? I have three brothers. So you're the, and, and are you the middle child? I'm the youngest. The youngest. I didn't realize you were the youngest. Well, people often think that my brother Edward, who has Down syndrome, is younger than me, but actually he's a year and a half older. Oh, okay. Edward we knew well because he lived here the longest, and um, he would let you know in a minute what he saw on TV last night and if he liked it or didn't like it. Yeah, even as the performer of the family, Edward makes me look like a wallflower. He's super gregarious. He loves pretty much every person he meets and if he doesn't love you he lets you know it so one of the things that i learned about susan is that she was supposed to go to med school you went to stanford university so how did you end up at stanford university straight out of brooklyn well uh brooklyn tech is a fairly good high school so they actually graduate most of their class to pretty good colleges. Uh, maybe not Stanford and Harvard, but a lot of excellent schools. Oh, Stanford would correct you in a minute and say they are the Harvard of, uh, of the uh, left coast, as it were, the west coast. Actually, Cornell is our sister school, so. Mm, okay. But you left Stanford. Um, you were supposed to go to med school, but you went to Paris. Yes. Uh, when I entered Stanford uh, at 16, I would definitely have considered myself pre-med. My uh, family was pretty interested in the idea of me becoming a doctor. Actually, my father wasn't thrilled about me going to Stanford because it's 3,000 miles away. And he told me, if you're going to go to school 3,000 miles away, you should go to Ireland because in a few years, you can be in a medical school program and become a doctor that way. I wasn't too keen on that, so I decided Stanford was, was good enough for, for my pre-medical aspirations. Right. So I guess the other part of this being a daughter of Brooklyn is that you were a somewhat unusual daughter of Brooklyn because your family was, um, was a multiracial, biracial family at a point in time where um, white folks and black folks, even in Brooklyn, did not get married too often. But your mom was African-American. Your dad, I think you said, was Polish and Irish. I only knew the Irish part of him. I didn't know the Polish part. Uh, if you know anything about Polish names, you know that Wojtyki is definitely a Polish name. <laughs> so my... Uh, my great-grandfather actually came from Poland. He left. He found a Slovakian wife. He had his child, my grandfather, in Budapest. Uh, my grandfather spoke five languages. He spoke Polish, he spoke Slovak, and he spoke Hungarian. When he came to America with his father and the rest of their family, he learned English. And then to top it off, he learned Spanish because... If you're going to be selling radios at Macy's, it's really important to get to all of the customers. 
That's absolutely correct. And your, but your mother was from Brooklyn. She was born and raised in Brooklyn, right? Actually, no. She was born in Cincinnati. Okay. I know. It's hard to imagine. I, I just and only knew her as a Brooklyn person. She uh, attended, I believe, junior high school and high school in Brooklyn. But she was born in Cincinnati, and she spent her early childhood actually with her grandmother uh, down in South Carolina. And then she moved to Philadelphia for about grade school to to live with her uncle and aunt and then finally um my mother my grandmother her mother had a stable enough position in brooklyn to have her with her so and that's where that's where they met your father was a math teacher in the my father was a math teacher a very young math teacher in brooklyn the, they told me that they called him the kid because uh, he was probably 19 or so teaching high school. Uh, And my mother was 10 years older than him and actually friends with a colleague of his. So her colleague was getting married. Uh, No, his his colleague was getting married and he was invited to the wedding as an usher. Um, And that happened to be one of my mother's best friends. And she was a bridesmaid and they met at her wedding. Okay, and they were married for over 50 years. They were married for 51 years, 51 years. So here they are in Brooklyn uh, living on Eastern Parkway. And you have um, your three siblings, brothers, and you, the youngest, go off to Stanford. You finish Stanford. And how did you decide to, because you, you studied science, technology, and dance at Stanford. Well, I, my major was science, technology, and society with a focus in genetics. Uh, if anything, I would... They didn't really have minors at Stanford at the time, but I would have probably been considered like a dance theater minor. I I studied a lot of dance, and I also studied a lot of theater while I was there. Was that your passion? I really loved performing, and being able to move and dance and express myself is something I'd always loved. And when you went off to Paris, was that what you wanted to do? Or did you know what you wanted to do? Uh, when I moved to Paris, I think I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I, hmm. The funny thing is, I finished Stanford and I had started mapping the human genome. So I was working, I actually finished, I graduated from Stanford. And then I started working for Stanford on the human genome project. I, I met James Watson, and every day I was doing experiments to further map the human genome, or I was writing computer programs to help understand the data. But at the same time, because I was still connected to my Stanford community, I was still dancing there, and I was still performing in plays at Stanford. And one of the other students I knew had gone to Paris to study at Ecole Jacques Lecoq, where, which was a th- physical theater school. And I was really intrigued. And I decided after mapping the human genome for a year that I would go to school there. So what is physical theater? 
How do you explain that? It's a little difficult to explain what physical theater is, but uh, it's really almost all theater is physical theater, but it's really the theater of the body. So an easy example is miming. Miming is very clearly physical theater. But in all theater, you're expressing yourself with your body. And the question is how much and, you know, dance is essentially a form of physical theater. It's it's really hard to say exactly where the the division comes. Uh, Commedia dell'arte is very physical. Clowning is very physical. And if you look at all those old Buster Keaton films, like it's it's theater, but it's extremely physical theater. So I know you've probably been asked this about a million times, but you have to say, did you run away and join the circus? I I haven't been asked it a million times, but I certainly, I think, I feel like I more ran away and I discovered the circus than ran away and joined the circus. Because honestly, I'd experienced circus in New York as a child. I'd been to the Big Apple Circus. I'd been to Madison Square Garden. And I was certainly astounded and amazed, but it had never occurred to me to to jump in there and be a part of that. But while I was going to school in Paris, I saw such amazing circus theater shows, um, w- really what they call New Circus or Nouveau Cirque, um, s- stories told with such sensitivity and humanity that you could go from the from crying to laughing to being astounded. And it was all wrapped up in the circus. And I found myself really drawn to this world. And I honestly, I still thought I was too old at that age to join the circus. But I, I started taking classes, just little community classes in circus while I was in Paris. And the thing about the circus in France that's very different than circus in America is that in France, there's circus everywhere. It's, it's, almost, it's almost as ubiquitous as baseball is to an American. Every town has a little circus tent. Every person might know how to juggle a little bit and every school. So really, there's a much, a much longer history and deeper community of circus in France. There's definitely a larger appreciation for it. And there's a much longer history that, uh, I mean, because the Americans have a pretty long history of elevating circus. But in France, it's everywhere, like throughout children, going to the circus. It isn't something that's only for children. It's for everyone. So if you had discovered circus in the United States as opposed to having discovered circus in France where it was a very different kind of part of the community life. Um, do you think your, your career and your performance and your ability to kind of incorporate voice and movement with circus performance would have been different if it if you would and also because you were you were african-american you were you're a biracial performer and 
Would that have made a difference? I have no idea. For things to have happened in the order they did, I feel one thing, it's also a time in my life that I discovered it. Uh, For me, discovering this in my early 20s was sort of, I was already searching for what it was that I wanted to do. Uh, And so if I had maybe made this discovery in my late 20s or in my you know, early teens, things could have been entirely different. But at a certain point, I was wide open in my life. And it's always possible that I could have wandered into a circus community, very it's a little more unlikely in America that I would have wandered okay. into a circus community. In, in Paris. A little more unlikely than in Paris, I would yeah. say. Just because, just because of the ubiquity of circus in, in France. There certainly, there were opportun. I think there are opportunities in America to see the kind of circus that inspired me, uh, but there are, are fewer and far between. And sometimes, they're little, literally imported from Europe. Right? You can go to BAM, or Lincoln Center, and see a, an amazing circus show that you know has been made in Europe. But then there's not the same opportunity. In France, I had the opportunity to hang out with the artist. To, and sometimes the artists were Americans. Sometimes they were Canadians. They were artists from all over the world. That's the one thing that's great about circus is that it welcomes all types. Like your grandfather, did you end up speaking multiple languages? Uh, I do speak French, which when I moved to France and went to a French school became a necessity to learn. Uh, And uh, I, my Japanese is not great, but I've worked there. So I've managed to pick up a few phrases. Because that's what I learned from your mother when you were away. Um, And and she and I would talk from time to time. And she told me that you, you were performing in Japan, which I just thought was kind of amazing and exotic, and I had no idea. So Paris to London, but what kind of circus performance? I mean, you became an aerial performer. Yes, I became an aerialist. When I, so from discovering the circus for myself in France to the small training spaces I would go to there and the things I would do. I actually went to professional school in London. Uh, And in London, I tried many different things, but ultimately I decided upon being an aerialist and focused most of my training there. And what does that feel like? You said you loved performance. And that's a very, very kind of special kind of performance. It's amazing. It feels wonderful to be literally up above the audience. Uh, I'm very lucky in circus school, I decided to focus on swinging. And swinging, honestly, even it's even better. <laughs> it's even better than um, just an aerialist on any other standard apparatus because Um, it's hard to explain the feeling. The feeling is like when you're five years old and you're on that swing and you've just gotten brave enough to, to pump the swing without your parents and you're starting to get higher and higher and you're starting to get to that point of weightlessness 
And you get to that point over and over again. Doing that in front of an audience and being able to do tricks that feel, it feels like it's magic. It's certainly, it's all physics, but what the feeling is in your heart is magic to be able to share that with people. And they think it's magic. Absolutely. You said it's really all physics. It is, it is all physics. Swinging is physics. I'm sure you can take every component of what I do and break it down into an equation and a, and a force and an angular motion. But when you combine it all, what does it feel like? It feels like you can fly. Do you think people are waiting for you to make mistakes? Uh, I think there is a percentage of people that go to the circus for the danger and the drama of someone making a mistake and a mistake happening. But I don't, I never feel like, oh, the, the audience is just waiting for me to make a mistake. I feel more like the audience is hoping and they're praying that I don't make a mistake, that they are cheering me on and they want my success in the in the face of all the odds they want me to succeed have you ever saw yourself maybe in the in the sense of like a a a little girl watching um and coming to you and saying wow that was nice or anything like that uh i've definitely had meet and greets with the audience and i've definitely seen myself in the face of little kids who are just like I never thought that, you know, someone like me, especially when I worked with Universal Circus, it's just so amazing to see so many kids so inspired so that they can know that, you know, anything is possible, which I think is the great, you know, final message of circus is that you can do anything. It might take a lot of time and effort and energy and pain, uh, and sometimes heartbreak, but you can do anything. Was it? Was do you feel that at any point in time there was an issue with representation, um, as far as like let's say you know you being a minority in in a field that's dominated by any other ethnic background? Yeah, it's really hard to say. Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. It, it would. Because it's the circus, things would really vary from place to place. Oh, because it's the circus, things really varied from place to place, from contract to contract. Uh, there were definitely contracts where I was certainly the only African-American. So in that you feel it's really important to represent. Honestly, uh, even when I was with the Universe Soul Circus, at some point the show was going on and I realized I'm the only African-American female in this show, which is a little weird because we're dealing with the universe soul circus. And it's not that I don't think that, you know, my Caribbean brothers and sisters should be represented. I think it's great. I think it's great that they had a Chinese troupe. I think the more people under the tent, the better. What's unfortunate is that there are not a lot of opportunities in in America in general to work or study in the circus, and there's even less amongst African-American communities. 
Is it a family when you're with, as you said, a contract with a certain circus? Do you do you develop a kind of family feeling among the performers, or is it really just we're professional performers and we we do our jobs, you know? You know, it really depends on the on the one on the length of the contract. You know, it's 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 hard to make a family in one night. But so you know, the for shorter contracts, there's certainly a lot of camaraderie and there's a lot of goodwill. But usually, you develop more feelings toward people the longer you're together. And some people are together. Some people they're in a company and they're together for years, and that is family. When you're working toward a common goal and you're supporting one another, you've made a family. No, it's funny you ask that because that was another question I was curious about. Um, when you, depending on how long and short the contracts are, because you know I, I know people who do um, what are those? Um, why can I use? Why can I remember words? Um, <laughs> a circus. It must be a circus skill, or no, no. no, no, no just no, talking this, about contracts no, for other theater. things so for theater contracts. Like theater yeah, contracts. like cruises, right? So yeah, cruise shows. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and I've always heard stories about those who just come on, who are there for shorter times, um, deal with stress with people who have been there for longer, and then trying to say like we're we're equal, we're on the same team, but then still having some pushback as far as um, you be like why are you here? I don't want you here in the sense of that nature. Well, you're still. I mean, and then there's the thing, of course, with how large is the show. Mm-hmm. Like the show I worked with on Japan, that was a fairly long contract. That was a, a year-long contract, which it could have possibly been longer. And I know people who didn't actually stay the entire contract. So, and there were a minimum of fifty acrobats working. Uh, Almost half of those acrobats didn't speak any English. <laughs> they only spoke Russian. They only spoke Japanese. They only spoke Chinese. So it certainly impedes your ability to form friendships. Uh, and But at the same time, the people you get close with, you get very close with. And I've definitely made lifelong friends off of these contracts. So... In your performance was most, I mean, you were a choreographer. Um, so you designed the movement that you performed. Did you mostly perform as a solo performer? Or did you have to depend on other people to support you? Well, in the circus, you're always depending on other pe- people to support you, even as a solo performer. So, yes, and as a choreographer, I've definitely designed things for for me to execute, but I've also designed choreography for other people to execute. Uh, I've also been in ensembles, which means everyone designs the choreography. So you have to take into consideration everyone's abilities, um, the feeling people have, what the feeling is that you're going for. But, and it's very different between designing a solo act. So even if I do design a solo act, I'm, and this is, and this is just like theater. Even if you're performing a monologue, you still have the lighting people. You still have the sound people. You still have a whole host. You have the people who take the tickets. I mean, 
even if you go see a solo show, there is no way that's happening alone. Right. You're always depending on other people. You, and the truth is, is they're depending on you. You have to do your job so that they're able to do their job. So if you, if you think about your performances and where you've performed, is there one that always leaps to mind first? Oh, that's, that's a hard question. There, I've performed you know, over these last 20 years, which is in my mind hard to believe I'm coming to 20 years of performing Every performance I've done comes to mind as, honestly, it's almost a reflection back to me of different points and different things in my life, of things I either wanted or didn't want, or things I'm surprised that I wanted and are are still excited about. Uh, There are situations I've been in where when people go, well, wow, what was the, you know, what was your best contract or what was your worst contract? Each contract had something I gained from it. So did you have an agent? Do you have an agent that helped, you know, negotiate your contracts or is it word of mouth? How do you how do you move between all these various performance opportunities? Um, for a lot of things you audition. Uh, I have had an agent or a few agents in the past. I haven't gotten a lot of work through agents, but I've gotten some definitely. Uh, some of it's word of mouth. Some of it's who you know in the business in general, sort of a general networking. Uh, And some of it's just cold auditioning. So there was a time when you were in London that you you said um, you didn't tell your parents what you were doing. You didn't tell them that you were a circus performer or going to circus school. No, it's very interesting. I was actually recently talking with my husband about this, which is, uh, it's a very, and older Catholics will understand this, is a very long tradition of m- omitting anything that might upset your parents, essentially. <laughs> Just, right. you don't really call it lying because you never told them. <laughs> so, um, I... At one point when I was in Paris, I did a performance and I showed my mother the pictures and she was clearly very upset by it. Um, She essentially asked if I was crazy and I told her, no, no, I'm not crazy. No, don't worry. I won't do that again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just to assuage her fears. And you certainly were not going to show it to her again. And that's I certainly what you really meant. <laughs> that's exactly. And I certainly wasn't going to share that with her again because uh, that was uh, very upsetting to her. So, do you think it was because you were in the air? Um, I'm sure. <laughs> well, my mother had a very traditional view of circuses, and in her mind. She told me something along the lines of, well, circuses, they come in the night and they leave in the night. Like, like, wait, wait, wait. like I'm like, um, okay. Like, that's, uh, that's interesting. Like, what are they, what, they're thieves? Like, what, what, they're bandits? I'm they're like, gypsies. they're gypsies. gypsies. Oh, gypsies. this is, you know, she 
for her, it was not an appropriate use of my time or energy. She, she had sort of, uh, she, and I'm going to tell you that she wasn't thrilled about me being a, a performer or, or an actor either. But at least there was some sort of dignity in being on the stage and speaking words. <laughs> but, uh, but flying through the air was... Uh, flying through the air was dangerous. It was out of the question. So, so let me ask you this. So speaking of that, um, if your mother was in the audience um, and if she had the ability to see your mind in that moment right before you were to perform... What would she say? And the feeling that you had about performance, because you said you loved performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if she were actually see me, usually backstage before I perform, I'm I'm saying essentially a a prayer, the the E. Cummings poem. I thank you, God, for most this amazing day, because Mm -hmm. that poem really encapsulates the feeling I have and the way I feel about this. And I find that it gives me strength, like even if I'm nervous or anything goes wrong, I'm, you know, my mind goes to those words. Do you still remember the full poem? I thank you God for most this amazing day, for the leaping spirits of trees and for everything that is natural, that is infinite, that is yes. I who have died am alive again today. And today is the sun's birthday. Today is the birth of love and light and wings and any most illimitable earth. <laughs> How can tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, feeling any doubt unimaginable you? Now the ears of my ears awake and now the eyes of my eyes are opened. And that's, I know that's not exactly it. But I see the feeling. That's it. I, I, I felt that. I see it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that helps. That helps. That helps to know um, why you do what you do, what the passion is. It feels like it's so centering. Yeah. And it's a very centering kind of thing. So how did they, I, I, I remember a story about, I guess it was your father discovered something online or a program or something? Yes, it's very interesting. In the early days of the internet, I had a website. (laughs) Very early days. In the early days of the internet. (laughs) And you can actually still see that website, which I haven't updated, but I'm meaning to very soon. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, um... Yeah. And what is the website? It's voitiki.com, okay. which is v- V-O-Y-T-I-C-K-Y, which is exactly as it sounds, because I'm sure when my great-grandfather came in through Ellis Island and said Voititsky, they were like, here you go, Voitiki. <laughs> so, but, uh, but you'll be fine in Brooklyn. Voitiki.com in Brooklyn is... Oh, yeah. No, it works. It's it's very easy to spell. So um, you so you had this website. I had this website uh, for promotional material and so that I could get work essentially. And one day my father was like, "Hmm, let me Google Voitiki. <laughs> what comes up but Voitiki.com?" 
Uh, oh my goodness. I know. I really should have been more clever with that. <laughs> well, but your father was, I mean, I knew him and he was not the kind of person that used the internet. He was not. He was a paper person. He loved paper. But in the early days of the internet, someone showed him how to Google things. <laughs> and of course, what do you do? What was that back then? AOL searching? There was yeah, AOL, AOL searching. There were all right. kinds of yeah. whatever. Yahoo, Jeeves. Yeah. I don't know who he got to search. Remember Jeeves. I don't know who he got to search, but you know, if you type in the name Voitiki correctly, you'll definitely get my website. And it was probably possibly the only hit he got. And you know, he looks at it and he's like, hmm, you know, it's kind of unmistakably me. So uh, at some point I the in and I'm sure he showed it to my mom. And then you got the phone call. I'm not even sure whether I'm not sure whether I got a phone call or they I mean, and it's always interesting when you've I mean, and of course, lied when you've omitted part of your life for so long, you get very good at it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was that moment where it was this little game where they were like they were trying to catch me. And I was like, oh, they're on to me. But if I just keep (laughs) pretending that I don't know what they're talking about, I can just keep going. So at some point, but at some point it was really clearly out. There was something like, like they showed me the website and they're sort of like, is this you? And I, and I was just like, hmm, like now I'm right. It's like, how do I, I can't, but, but you had also, you had also (laughs) risen to a level that you were a bit of a star, really. Uh, I was definitely doing performances publicly, but I was in San Francisco because I moved from London to San Francisco to perform. Right. So, but within, but within that world, you, you know, as near as I can tell, you were considered a star. You were considered someone who was... I was definitely a professional circus artist by right. the time they discovered by the time they discovered me, it was too late. I had graduated from circus school and, and had one possibly two contracts under my belt so uh certainly there was no more thought of them pulling the plug right <laughs> on the whole situation it's like it was too far gone for that. it was yeah right so you performed for 20 years mm. um do you still perform from time to time from time to time it's obviously been very difficult during the pandemic but i've even managed to get in an online show oh Yes, with the Bindle Stiffs, they have a, a show every Monday night, and they're having performers from around the world. Well, that's pretty exciting. So folks who are listening should look for that. Yes, they should definitely go to the Bindle Stiff website and look. At, they, I believe they have their show on Facebook Live every Monday night at 7.30. Okay. And the Bindle Stiffs are a uh, venerable New York troupe who I've performed with several times over the years. And so where do you go from here? I mean, you want to, you obviously will keep performing. Well, I've, uh, I've started a company. Uh, Okay. What kind of company and are you teaching or? I was teaching for a long time at Circus Warehouse. Uh, unfortunately, during the pandemic, we lost our space. Um, and hopefully, um, when we're some 
level through this, we will have another space and I'll be able to teach again. Cause I really, even though I didn't expect to enjoy teaching, I actually really do enjoy teaching and I miss my students and passing on the knowledge that I've gained and chore choreographing them and just teaching young people how to be strong, <laughs> essentially. How do you actually do that um, from your perspective, like as a teacher? From my perspective as a teacher, every student needs something different. And to learn to be strong, the truth is, is that most of my students are already strong. They just need to dare and they need to be encouraged to. And there are absolutely things that are dangerous. And I would never suggest anyone try alone because you could get hurt. <laughs> so having a, a skilled professional there to watch you, encourage you, and to make sure that you're not doing something to hurt yourself, without a doubt. But sometimes I feel I learn as much from them as they do from me. So to do what you do and what you've done for 20 years, you not only have to be physically strong, but you do some voice work and you also have been a choreographer and have created movement. Um, do you consider yourself as someone who also has gymnast skills? Um, a lot of people would think that I came from a gymnastic background and I would say I come from a very, very light, very light gymnastic background. I, but I do have a partner who came from a full, serious, all the way through collegiate level gymnastics training. And that definitely helps if you want to join the circus, having the control of your body that a gymnast has, oh, it's, it can only be helpful. I personally came from more of a dance theater background. And so I try to highlight those skills in the work that I do, because if I'm not, even if I'm not able to do the triple Lutz, uh, perhaps I can combine a, a more physically, a less physically demanding skill with some of my other more theatrical or vocal skills. Uh, and in that way, I can create a synthesis that makes it uniquely me. Right. So let me ask you one, one more question. Um, if you had the opportunity um, as, a, as a little black girl, now an uh, older black woman, um, what advice would you give to somebody else who wanted to be, who, who was you at one point in time, who wanted to not just, not just join the circus, but let's say do what you do? Ooh, if, I, if I met a young me and wanted to do what I do and to continue to do what I do, uh, I would tell a younger me that to be curious to be always interested in studying. Part of the thing I feel most lucky about is that I was able to study so many forms of dance, that I was able to study singing, that when I started circus, even though I was older and I thought, oh, I'm way too old to start you know, training in something that's so physically demanding that I threw caution to the wind. And I said, you know what? I'm still gonna do it because I enjoy it. And I think it's fun to learn new things. And the circus is really for the curious. And 
you were able to follow your passion. Absolutely. So if someone wanted to, um, if somebody wanted to see some of your work, where would you send them? Would you send them to the, the Uncle Junior Project website, which is where I saw some of your work online? Absolutely. The Uncle Junior Project, which is a project that celebrates African-Americans in circus, uh, has many people on it that are celebrated. I happen to be one of them. Uh, you can also go to my website and you can certainly read all about me uh, and see many pictures and videos from there. You can also enter my performance name, my pre-marriage name, Susan Wojtyki, into YouTube, and that will bring up several videos from me. So I, I, encourage, I encourage anyone who wants to follow their passion. Absolutely. To figure out how to do it. And thank you, Susan. Mm -hmm. And thank you for having curiosity and taking us on a very, very... Um, curious adventure and sharing that with us. This is the usable past. Susan Austin Wojtyki and PJ Ryan, thank you. And this is the usable past informing the present. Thank you. Usable Pass is sponsored in part by the Greater New York Arts Development Fund of the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs, administered by Brooklyn Arts Council, BAC.